The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. Yes, I am here, August 1st. We are talking August importance rings. We're kicking off August the right way. Jordan loves a tier four quarterback. Should we make anything of that? And then thoughts on Mark Canna, a little bit of deadline stuff, and a very bad loss from the Milwaukee Brewers. Before we get going, just a reminder, on social media, Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, TikTok, as well as Facebook. Facebook, we've seen a little Facebook bump, uh, The re- uh, how Instagram is now sharing reels. Uh, reels are getting into more people's feeds on the Facebook, and that's awesome, man. Uh, that's really cool. Uh, so if you are in through Facebook and you're checking out the pod for the first time, welcome. Uh, you should know that we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on wherever else you get your podcast. You go Overcast. You go Pod Bay. Uh, Stitcher is no longer a thing. I know Good Pods uh, is there, and we're on there too. If there's some place we are not, uh, and that you're listening to the podcast, on, let me know. Uh, drop me a line uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, and I will make sure that we get our RSS feed on the place you listen. We want to be everywhere that you are. If you're already subscribed, you know what to do. Drop it in the group chat to have a conversation about the month of August. It's crazy that we are already here. It's crazy that we're going, football is right around the corner and we're going to talk about it all. So excited to chat with you. I know that I had originally said we are off today. Uh, basically what I did, and I, I got to get better at this, and this is a little inside baseball before we get going, I just, if I'm going to take a th- Tuesday off, I got to be a little more evergreen on that Monday shot. That's, that's, that's all, that's all I'll say. And it's a little good, a good lesson for me, um, as I plan out and get things accomplished. So, okay, let's talk, let's talk about the Green Bay Packers, the Milwaukee Brewers, Wisconsin Badgers. Is there some bucks there too? In the August importance rankings, let's get into it. So for number one, I have the Packers preseason game against the New England Patriots week two at Lambeau Field. It's a 7 p.m. start. Uh, I just think that game carries a immense amount of importance, understanding of where the Packers are on both sides of the football. I, I think that Jordan Love will play a good amount of preseason uh, we, game one, I don't think there's going to be as much Jordan Love and as much of the first team offense and the first team defense. But I think in game number two, I think you will see a great deal of it. And I think that will be our true understanding of what the Green Bay Packers are, at least at this moment, right? You don't want to overreact. If Packers go out there and they kick the living shit out of the Patriots, it'll be overreact city. We'll be like, the Packers are going to win the division. The Packers are going to win 11 games, 12 games, right? Like it'll, it'll get silly. But it also, you know, is not something we can take with a huge amount of like conviction and, you know, know-how because it is preseason. You know, the they we do not necessarily, preseason doesn't always result in success in the regular season. You know, teams have gone undefeated in the preseason only to be some of the worst teams in football. So we can't, put all our eggs in that basket. We can be excited. We can, you know, temper our expectations and say, all right, yeah, this team looks like, you know, it's built for success and it's ready, ready to roll. And I think everybody will point out this one 2008 season when the Packers went six and 10 in their first year with Aaron Rodgers. And then the year after they make the playoffs, the year after they win the Super Bowl. You guys know the story. And I think that's what a lot of people are expecting. I, I'd argue that I, I think it's a different environment in 2008. Like Aaron Rodgers was traded 
But Aaron Rodgers wanted out. Aaron Rodgers did not do the fake retirement. Aaron Rodgers did not try to force his way back to the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers just wanted to get the fuck out. And so it's been Jordan Love's team for the entire summer. It has not been a situation where the keys were handed to Aaron Rodgers. Basically, in summer, yes, was told, yeah, you're a guy, but there's all this Favre stuff. There's fans who want Favre, all this other crap. And Jordan Love's our number two, so we could just get into it because it's kind of in that same ballpark. Like, Jordan Love's, the jerseys, Jordan Love jerseys, according to those who are at training camp, is enormous. Like, and from people I've talked to, like, the sales of Jordan Love merchandise is through the roof. Like, everybody is in Jordan Love's corner. So it's not a 2008 situation. So I think the idea that it could be like 2008 is flawed. Also, I'd have to look back at 2008 in terms of the schedule and in terms of what the NFC looked like. But we've talked about it in the past. The NFC is is weak. But this is a big month for Jordan Love to get to him as number two on that importance rankings because I think that you know, it, it's going to be about the good days, the bad days, right? Like yesterday, he had this awesome throw to Christian Watson that was like 67 yards, was an absolute seed. The first play of the two-minute drill, Love would have thrown an interception to Quay Walker had he held on to the football. So, like, there are going to be good moments, bad moments. There are going to be bad practices, right? Jordan Love is going to have a bad practice here and there where it's really rough, and that's just part of... The process that's just part of the progression now if love keeps having bad days i think there will be a little bit of hesitation or if love struggles in the games against the patriots the games against the Bengals, i don't know if he'll play that seahawks game but if he does like and we see struggles out of jordan love like i think that's a issue like i, I don't think that's something that we can just run from we have to at least talk about it discuss it you know, and I, I don't think it's worth pushing the panic button, but it's at least maybe tempering expectations. So I'm, I and think that's really the month of August's like phrase, right? The phrase of the month is temper expectations. And I, I think it could go for really every team, you know, that we're going to talk about here because it's it's one of those months that you have to be a little bit patient. Um, uh, you know, we did that patience power rankings on, on tapping the keg a couple of weeks ago. And this is really the month where patience is going to be key because there's going to be times where it looks really bad. There's going to be times when it looks really good. And you just kind of have to be even keel about it. And you can't just go crazy in either direction and be like, oh, this is fucked. Or, oh my God, we're one of the best teams in football. And, and but again, that goes for other teams like the Milwaukee Brewers. So number three, and the Brewers trade deadline. I won't spend too much time on this. Uh, I'll do this at the very end uh, because the deadline's at three o'clock. This is going to probably posted 8 8 8.20. So odds are a lot of you will listen after the deadline. Uh, you'll listen maybe after the deadline reaction pod that we're going to do tomorrow um, or later today. So like, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But what I will say is that it's an important day for the Brewers to try to get better and to try to figure out what more can they do to add to this baseball team? And how can they continue to make themselves better, right? Uh, if the Brewers, I would imagine they're involved with relief pitchers. I would imagine they might be involved with another hitter. Trying to bolster this team as much as possible to get them ready for the stretch run. There are still work to be done, right? This is not a finished project. The Brewers, I hope, are not looking at Mark Hanna and... Carlos Santana and saying, okay, yeah, those are our two guys and that's it. And we are satisfied. 
I hope that they are making phone calls, they're checking in, they're seeing if they can get a deal done, whether it's a big deal or another small depth piece like a Canna, like a Santana, that is not necessarily, you know, going to blow anyone's socks off, but is going to be better than what the Brewers have. I think that is lost in the shuffle. Like, People were upset about Mark Canna today, and we could get into, you know, Canna and Santana's importance here in a second because they're number four. But I, I think you have to look at what was else there. Like the Brewers have not been good from a outfield perspective. They've been porous, you know, whether it's Bryce Perkins or Blake Perkins. I always do that. Uh, whether it's, it's Bryce Perkins just sounds better. I don't know. Uh, whether it's Blake Perkins, whether it's Tyrone Taylor, whether it's Jesse Winker, like, there have been struggles across the board with the lower part of this lineup. So the Brewers are trying to fix that. They're trying to remedy that. They're not trying to sell the farm, which we can talk about at another time. And I, I think it's worth waiting till the deadline is over. But the Brewers are still adding these pieces. Now, for Santana and Canna, which kind of rhymes and whatever, as number four on this importance rankings, I, I think for the, the, they really need to have good Augusts, Right. We've seen, you know, guys come for the Brewers and it just does not work out. Uh, we saw it with Eduardo Escobar. It was not good. He had a couple moments here and there, but the Brewers really couldn't place Eduardo Escobar in the lineup. I think given where the Brewers offense is today, that Canna and Santana are going to have every opportunity to make an impact on this baseball team. I do not, I mean, we already seen it with Santana, right? He has not had a day off uh, since joining the Brewers. He's played every game so far, uh, three to be exact. So I still think you're gonna see that, you know, continue. I don't think the Brewers are going to mess too much with what they have with those guys. I expect Canada to probably hit sixth in the order behind Willie Adamas. Um, I know people might say Willie Adamas at the five hole is, is not great, but he's at least had some good, he had some good swings yesterday. So I'm hopeful that maybe we're starting to see Willie Adamas come out of it. Um, I know it's just one game, right? It's the exact same thing that we just talked about with Jordan Love. So you can't get too excited about one one game where he was putting the bat on the ball. But I, I do hope that maybe Willie Adamas is getting out of things. So yes, the Cantana and Cantana, <laughs> the Canna and Santana importance, I think I think matters because the hope is that they're going to help the Brewers offense. And the hope is that the Brewers pitching staff, even though it has not been great these last four games, is going to be what it's been all year. You're going to get Brandon Woodruff back. You're going to get Wade Miley back here this week. Wade Miley's starting tonight. Like there's, This should be a rocket ship opportunity for the Milwaukee Brewers. Like They should have the ability to sort of take off here and maybe pull away from the Cincinnati Reds and the Chicago Cubs. Like This, this should be their month. And if it isn't, I, I don't know who that falls to. I don't know if that falls to the hitting coach. I don't know if that falls to Craig Council. I, I don't know if that falls to Matt Arnold for not doing enough and not being as like going all in or pushing his chips in. Again, we have a day. So it, it's very possible that there could be more. But if Santana and Canna do not deliver this month, that is going to be a, I, I don't want to go as far to say it's a massive disappointment, but it's going to be a disappointment. Because I think the hope would be that the Brewers, you know, start to look like a competent offense, like look like an offense that could at least be in the NLCS and quite possibly the World Series if everything works out the way it's supposed to. And 
guys start hitting, you know, Adamas, Ryan Telez comes back and he's good. Uh, Brian Anderson, same thing. Like I, the Brewers now have, you know, more professional baseball players, if that makes sense, right? Like they do not have fringe guys. Like one Miller might be DFA. And I know that there'll be probably some that are frustrated by that, but I think Owen, Brian Anderson's a lot better than Owen Miller, just, you know, in the grand scheme of things. I think Andrew Monastero has weirdly found his way to the Brewers until he says otherwise. He's been great. Like, I can't, I can't really say, oh, yeah, you got to replace him. But Perkins, I think, is definitely a guy, even though his defense has been good, like, you got to be something on offense. Joey Weimer, I think there is a platoon opportunity there with him and Sal Freel, right? Where Weimer's going to hit against lefties and Sal's going to hit against righties. And they're both going to play center field. And that will help, I think, both of them because it'll take less pressure off both players to, you know, be the guy night in, night out. So even though Canna's stats are not great, they still are, it still, you know, matters. And those guys can have, have moments in, in August and then potentially, you know, in September and hopefully October. We kind of trampled on it a little bit, but staying with the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, Brandon Woodruff and Wade Miley are number five here. The Brewers pitching staff has been pretty good amid what happened the last four days, and they should only get better here. And now with the combination of the two, like we just said, it really should start to pull in the right direction. Uh, I think when guys come back from the IL, you can't expect too much. I know Wade Miley was terrific the last time he came back from the IL. Like it was like he had never missed a beat. Um, I'm not I'm not gonna expect that uh, tonight against Washington. Washington pretty good against left-handers. Um, I'd actually probably look at the Nationals as maybe a potential winner here as an underdog because Miley's coming off a DL. Josiah Gray's been good, uh, but I would never I've never bet against my team, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna advise that to anybody. Uh, but just food for thought if you're not a Brewers fan and you're listening, if you're a Bucks fan, you're, you're a Packer fan, but you're not a Brewer fan, maybe maybe that's something for you. Uh, but I, I I do think that Miley and Woodruff by the end of August are going to establish themselves as the number two and the number three guy. Woodruff, remember, before getting hurt, was terrific. Like, Woodruff started off great this season. Um, and you just hope that Brandon Woodruff can pick up, pick up where he left off. And, you know, this schedule gets hard. We're going to talk about that in a later importance rankings. So it's not going to be like he's facing easy teams, but at least he'll have a you know, a easy launch pad with Colorado, uh, with likely the White Sox and get a couple starts in before he's, you know, going up against the big boys. And I think that that should help Brandon Woodruff. Um, I'm not worried about either guy. Um, I, I think both are, you know, consummate professionals. Both are going to get themselves ready. I think from all you hear about Brandon Woodruff, he's ready to pitch now. Like he's, he's been very adamant that he is, he's ready to go. And I, I think that just shows you a the type of guy Brandon Woodruff is, but b the type of competitor he is and wants to be back out there, you know, in a pennant race. And the Brewers are used to this, right? The Brewers have been involved in these for the last few years, and this is nothing new to them. And I, I do wonder with that with Cincinnati and Chicago, you know, is that going to affect them? This is these their young team. Chicago's a little older, uh, but especially with Cincinnati, like how will they? 
handle the pressure now. Like now, now it ratchets up. Now it's August. Like it, once the deadline's over, it's like, all right, this is the team you have and it's nut crunching time and you have to continue to have success. Now the Reds seem to beat anybody that is in the Milwaukee Brewers. So maybe they'll be okay. Uh, they're now, I think they have a one game lead or a one and a half game lead on the Milwaukee Brewers after they beat the Chicago Cubs last night. But still it's like, it's going to ratchet up. And I, I just, I'm very curious if the Reds are going to be ready for that. But to put a bow on Woodruff and Miley, I think they're going to to really help the Brewers and should carry the Brewers to hopefully a positive August. Going back to football for the next couple of important rankings, uh, Badger training camp, I think is interesting. I don't get too involved with college football training camps. Uh, I do think that with the Badgers implementing new systems, uh, whether it's the 335 on defense, whether it's Phil Longo's air raid, uh, they, they're going to need a lot of crisp, solid practices. And, you know, having guys like Colin, or Colton Bartholomew and Jake Krasowski, I butchered Jake's name, uh, both of them, well, Jake follows me on Twitter, Colin, Colton doesn't. Uh, but hopefully we read from those guys, Jim Polzine, like, that the Badgers are looking crest, the Badgers are looking ready, that the Badgers don't necessarily look confused. Um, I think when we do September importance rankings, we're gonna have a discussion about you know Wisconsin and sort of where they are. And I, we're gonna get more into the Badgers as the month goes on. And really sort of Luke Fickle's opportunity here to establish the roots, to establish what this Badger football team is going to look like and how is it going to change and getting them to a point where they are absolutely ready against Buffalo week number one. Now, obviously you're going to have some hiccups here and there, right? It's not going to be perfect. These are kids too. Um, but your hope is that Tanner Mordecai's familiarity with the with this offense will help. He's one of the better quarterbacks that the Badgers have had in a long time. I am not as big on Tanner Mordecai. I think that as others, like I think it's crazy he's on the Maxwell watch list. Like Tanner Mordecai was solid, but I just wonder, is he an empty stats guy? He had some bad interceptions. I also might, the well might be poisoned because I watched him in a brutal game against UCF. Uh, I think it was on like a Wednesday or something. He was so bad in that game and just did dumb things. So I, I maybe I'm just a little sour on him because that's like my big memory for Tanner Mordecai last season. Uh, but still, like I, I do think that he, you know, his familiarity with the offense is going to help. Even if I'm not the biggest fan, I still think that that is going to work in the Badgers' favor. And the bringing together of the transfer guys and the guys who've been there, I think is equally important. I think it's a lot about building that team chemistry. It does seem like the Badgers are in a good spot with that. If, you've wa if you watch the squat day videos, you know, it does seem like they are a connected fiber. It doesn't seem like it is a bunch of individuals. I think that, that there is that narrative out there by the Tom Oates of the world. I, I do think that the Badgers are in a position to be successful and to be a very good team in the Big Ten. But I still think there are some unknowns. And we, you know, you have to, again, what we said with the Packers, you have to temper expectations. You can't just go in and think that this team's going to go to the playoff year one. I think that is a crazy high bar to put them at. I think if they you know, only lose two games and they're in the conversation for a Big Ten title game and a potential Rose Bowl appearance, 
I think that is a great fucking year one for Luke Fickle. Now, some might disagree with that. Some might say, well, that's loser mentality. That's, you know, settling. No, it's a first-year coach. It's really hard to kind of just change everything of the Badgers and awake the echoes, if you will. Like, I know that's an Notre Dame term, but like, seriously, like trying to just completely revive a program that isn't exactly dead, but was kind of just standing in neutral. And to just push the pedal forward, it'll be good to push the pedal forward to 40 or 50 miles an hour, but to be like 100 miles and be like this awesome fucking team again, like it, it's hard to expect that. It's hard to believe that that's what, they, what they're going to be. Uh, and maybe that's just me being a hater. Maybe that's just me, you know, being a little too cautious, but I just think with 18 to 23 year olds, like they're, and I don't know, maybe they have 24 year olds with the grad transfers and all that portal shit. But, but seriously, like I, I just wonder how long it's going to take. And I wonder if there are going to be more hiccups than people expect. And that's it's kind of where my where my hesitation lies uh, with the with the Badgers, and we'll talk, I'm sure, a lot more about them as we get deeper into the month of August. Moving on to number seven, we're gonna go stay with football, but we're gonna go professional. I think the Packer Bengal game carries some importance. I don't think it carries as much importance as the Packer Patriot game to in game number two, but I think just game number one getting established looking the part, you know, there are going to be hiccups, right? Because it's the first preseason game, but just everybody feeling comfortable. Um, who knows how many how many of the guys the Bengals are going to play. Obviously, won't see Joe Burrow uh, as he's battling that calf injury. So the defense should get opportunities to shine. And I really do think that more guys should play this preseason. So I don't know what the schedule is going to be. I think that conversation will start happening next week. But I am very convinced the Packers need to play uh, 75 to 80% of their guys uh, because we've seen the start of the season as like it's it's not been it's not always been great for Green Bay, right? The last two years they got their asses absolutely handed to them by Minnesota and New Orleans. So what can Matt Lafleur do differently with the preseason schedule, with the preparation, right? He talks about how oh, we need more practices, like preseason gets in the way. Like he's very much not a preseason guy, but every year they get smacked in the first game of the season. So is he going to stick to what he's been doing or is he going to kind of learn some lessons? That's, I I think, part of this like Packer-Bengal game is like what lessons is Matt LaFleur going to learn? Like if we don't see... 50% 50% of the roster for that Bengals game, I'm going to I'm gonna be on his ass. Like, I, I am. I, I'm going to say they're setting themselves up for yet another failure. And I do think that that Bears game is important. Now, it's more important for the fan bases. Let's be, let's be 100% clear about that because there's been so much hype around Justin Fields. There's been so much hype around this Bears team that I, I think there is Packer fans are waiting to pounce and waiting to have their moment in the sun if... Fields, you know, blows up, you know, <laughs> like the Manhattan Project. Uh, like, if, if that's what happens, like, I think everybody's waiting here, including myself. But that said, we've seen two years where things have went completely off the rails to the backers in game number one. And how do you prevent that in year three, again on the road, again, you know, with a brand new quarterback in which will be a fever pitch crowd in Soldier Field who are celebrating sort of the death of Aaron Rodgers, if you will. Not that he actually died, but you get my point in the NFC North. So I, I, I definitely I definitely wonder if 
there's going to be some sort of, shall we say, different approach to what the Packers do. And it'll start against the Bengals uh, next Friday night. Number eight, going back to baseball, uh, the Brewers' second half of August. Uh, Their second half of August is not easy. Uh, It's not something that the Brewers... You know, can you know slug slug around? It's why losing the Nationals is not great. Uh, they have to face the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Texas Rangers, both on the road. Then home to play Minnesota, home to play San Diego, and then back out on the road to face the Chicago Cubs. And I think they're home that following weekend against the Philadelphia Phillies. So it is a really tough schedule here for the Brewers in the second half of August, starting on the 14th. It might be the 15th, actually, against the Dodgers. Yeah, I think it's the Tuesday uh, birthday game for me, night game, last last uh, late night uh, Brewers baseball of the of the year. And they're going to have to, you know, steady the tide. And they did a really good job of that, you know, when the schedule got hard in July. And they, they sort of held their water. They did a really good job, you know, after, you know, July was similar in the sense of the back half of July featured the... The Atlanta Braves twice, the Cincinnati Reds twice, the Philadelphia Phillies, and the Brewers hung in there. And I know the Braves thing did not go the way that we had hoped, but it was 13 and 10 in their last 23, you know, starting, you know, in July. And those Cubs games were a lot more difficult just given where the Cubs, you know, kind of took off after it. So I think you have to also throw that in the mix. July was not an easy month and the Brewers were able to steady the tide. So I'm not looking at that back half of August as, oh, here's the August swoon. Here's where, here's where the Brewers, you know, fall apart. I don't think that's the case. But I, I do know that it's it's going to be a lot of intense baseball games where you're fighting for your life. And the Brewers are going to have to, you know, weather that storm and try to go 3-3 three and three against LA and Texas. That's not going to be easy, right? But if they can pull that off, that's, that's going to set them up for success, you know, down the stretch into the final probably 40-some games. Nah, probably more, a little more than that, but like 45 games of the regular season. Number nine, I go back to football and Joe Barry. Uh, Joe Barry, it, I think just it's an important month for him to get his defense ready to go. Uh, you know, we just talked about the Packers and sort of their slow starts. And some of that is the defense. You know, I remember last year, everybody was get, getting excited about the defense. Everyone was like, this defense you know, it was going to be different. You know, Jair today called it Strap City, uh, which I felt like was a little, little too much. Like, I like it. I'm into it. I appreciate Jair's confidence, but I do agree with some of the people where it's like, well, we kind of need to see it first out of you before we, before we get excited, before we're like, oh my God, this guy, this defense is totally different. Um, and I, I think the first real test for this defense actually, well, it does come against Detroit, but it's, or not Detroit, sorry, Chicago, excuse me. I, I do think Detroit's probably the best offense in the month of September that they're going to see. So I, where there's less question marks, right? Like you have Justin Fields who, even though all the hype's there, like there are still a lot of question marks. Desmond Ritter, there's a lot of question marks. Uh, Derek Carr, he's still establishing himself 
as the Saints quarterback. So you can see that there is still some familiarity. And then Detroit, I think, is the most like continual. It'll be on a short week. I think that offense, you know, will be ready to go. And Detroit, obviously, the favorites here in the NFC North. So there, there carries a lot of weight at the end of that September. But to talk about August and getting ready. It's just making sure the pieces are in place. It's Joe Barry trusting the guys he has, you know, making sure that we're playing to the strengths, you know, having Greg Williams in there. It seems like he's making an impact early on, like Jair's playing more at the line of scrimmage, uh, which is exactly what Jair should do. You know, that's, I think, where he can excel. And so I, I do think that they're hopefully rolling in the right direction. Again, going back to the word of August, it's tempered expectations. It's not getting too fired up if this team's awesome against a Joe Burrow-less Cincinnati or they give they make Mac Jones' life a living hell, you know, in week two. I still think like we have to, you know, proceed with caution. Until we see it in a regular season game, we're not gonna know. I, I will leave you with this on Joe Barry, right? Joe Barry will has they've had issues stopping the run since forever, but Barry included. You face two teams that will love to run the football in the Bears and the Falcons. How you how you go against those two teams in terms of running the football is imperative. Hopefully things start out strong for the Green Bay Packers and the defense, you know, looks different and we can maybe get excited about defense. We'll see. Last one, I was going to do John Horst just to be like, hey, is there a Bucks trade coming? Uh, but I will put John Horst as an honorable mention and I will give it to Hard Knocks. I think just with the Aaron Rodgers stuff, um, there will be conversations, right? We're going to talk about Hard Knocks. I think it premieres, I don't know if it premieres tonight. Is tonight the first night of Hard Knocks? Or is it next? I think it's next week. I think it's the 8th, but let me double check that. I know that they shared a clip of Aaron Rodgers talking about enjoying all the moments and being sort of, you know, in present and everything else. And I know Liv Shriver, you know, met with the team and everything like that, which Rogers wanted to meet the voice of God. I don't know when though it is premiering. I, I'm playing, let's see here. I played the end, August 8th. So it's, it's a week from today. So yeah, there will be conversation about it. We'll have to work our schedule to talk a little bit about Hard Knocks because I'm sure Aaron Rodgers will be the focus in episode number one. I don't know if he'll be the focus for every episode, but I do think in that first episode, we're going to get a lot of Aaron Rodgers. So it will be something that we have to discuss. We have to at least, you know, bring to the forefront because I, I, I think it's just, it's how it goes. It's part of, it's part of the, the zeitgeist of this month. And I, I've talked to you guys in the past about you know, last week and everyone's like, well, I'm so sick of Aaron Rodgers. I'm so sick and tired of Aaron Rodgers. I saw Aaron Nagler did something too on this who, and obviously a bigger platform, but Aaron was absolutely right. And kind of similar things that I said, where it's part of the 2023 Green Bay Packers storyline. Just what Aaron Rodgers does matters. Uh, whether it's Rodgers being successful and Green Bay, you know, having a low first round pick because of Rodgers' success. If Rodgers gets hurt and the Packers end up with a second second round pick because Rodgers couldn't make it to 65% of the games. If Rodgers really struggles and Green Bay then suddenly has a top 10 pick or a top 15 pick because the Jets seemingly can't get off the ground because they have a very weak offensive line. And we have to acknowledge that Aaron Rodgers is part of this conversation. We can't ignore it.
Um, and Hard Knocks is the next great part of this. And, you know, he met with Peter Schrager. He met with Kay Adams in the last couple of days and, you know, had comments about not clo- closing the door on Green Bay, which I, I think is it's nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers coming back to play for the Packers. It's Aaron Rodgers getting his number retired, him retiring as a Packer. Um, I think that there is not as many hard feelings with Rodgers and the organization like there was with Favre. I think it's more to do with Brian Gunacoust. I think that's the only one that Rodgers really just has fuck you energy towards. But I think every, maybe Mark Murphy too. But I think everybody else, I think Rodgers has no no qualms. You know, he obviously reached out to Jordan Love right before the training camp started. So I definitely, I definitely don't think that there is as much ill will with Aaron Rodgers as there was with you know, Brett Favre to Rogers transition. It's a lot different. Um, and more reason why it might not be like 20, 2008. All right, let's stay with football. Uh, Mike Sando, who I really like, um, I have got to kind of know his content more uh, thanks to Ryan Rosillo because he has him on his podcast a lot. And I will be very curious. I'm assuming Sando will be on today's show uh, to hear his thoughts on Jordan Love and what everybody thought about Jordan Love. Uh, Sando came out with his quarterback tiers. If you're unfamiliar with it, he tiers the quarterbacks one through four uh, and, and five. There is tier five. I don't think there were any tier five quarterbacks. Nope, no tier five. No guys made tier fives. But tier four is really about the kind of unknowns. It's usually that the tier four guys are more unknown quarterbacks. Uh, How it's defined in Sandoz column is tier four quarterbacks could be an unproven player, uh, in parentheses, not enough information for voters to classify, or a veteran who would ideally not start all 17 games. So that's kind of where you know you place them. And now rookies are not placed in this, I don't think. I don't think I saw Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or Anthony Richardson, no, because there's, there's no information on these guys. So where Jordan Love is, is 26th. Jordan Love is 26th overall. He is lower than Kenny Pickett, who's 25, Brock Purdy, who's 24, Mac Jones, who's 23, Ryan Tannehill, who's 22, Justin Fields, who's 21, and Geno Smith, who goes into 20. And tier three quarterbacks are legitimate starter, but needs a heavier running game or a defensive component to win. Lower volume of drop back passing offense suits him best. I personally would put Jordan Love in that tier, but I understand the tier four rankings. I understand where the people are coming from to put Jordan Love here. He was only a tier three quarterback by one voter. They had 50 guys vote on this. One person put him in tier three. 49 of them put him in tier four. He tied with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield actually got 12 votes for tier three, which is absolutely wild. The Baker the Baker voting breakdown is fucking nuts, right? He finished with the same score as Love, but Love, remember, had 49 tier four votes. And, but Baker had 12 in that tier three. He had 27 in tier four, but he had 11 in tier five, where it's like, he's not a good quarterback at all. So it's really, really interesting. Uh, and the comments about Jordan Love from, you know, these are not, it, it's not exactly not anonymous source because like offensive coach, it's like a GM uh, or it's executives. Uh, but I thought the quotes were interesting and we can kind of, do like a fire Joe Morgan approach to it where we you know take the quote and then we react to that quote. We have no idea what this guy is. An offensive coach said, my initial read is he doesn't process the game well enough. I don't see a natural, smooth, instinctive players the way he reacts to a defense. 
I think that is very uh, reactive to what we've seen already on the football field, right? Like, I think there is a ton of fucking context needed. Uh, you faced a Kansas City team that was it was in Arrowhead. Steve Spagnola is a blitz machine. They were coming at Jordan Love with absolutely everything. Uh, I think that, you know, ignores what he did against the Eagles. I understand that the Eagles might not have been playing, you know, up in your face defense and playing more of a prevent style, but Jordan Love looked the part. Jordan Love looked ready for the moment. He, to me, I just push back entirely on that. I, I just do not agree with that. Uh, someone also said, we are going to see how good of a coach Matt LaFleur is, how good he was with game management on offense, how good he is in the two-minute offense, because everybody who has any experience with Aaron Rodgers knows he was in charge of that. That is true. Um, I, I don't disagree with that. I do think that we probably have to have a discussion about Matt LaFleur at some point here in August or in September about what Matt LaFleur is as a head coach. I do not think that he will find himself on the hot seat. I do, do think, though, if... It's a five and eleven year, uh, or what five and twelve because we have the extra game, or six and eleven. I, I do think, yeah, we'll ha- we'll start having some conversations about that. That was Lafleur popped up by Aaron Rodgers. That will be a big conversation, but I don't think it's a year one year one one and done. I think if you know it's he struggles and then they struggle again, they'll clean house before Mark Murphy's last year as Packer chairman because he hands over the keys in 2025. So I, I do think there is a two year window. On the floor, I agree that this is going to be more Matt's year. Uh, I mean, Mac, Mark Murphy said as much that we're going to see Mark Mike LaFleur, Matt Lafleur. A lot of lot of M's there. Mike or uh, Matt Lafleur's uh, offense. I was there again. Matt Lafleur's. We're going to see his true offense, and I think that is exciting. Uh, that is very interesting to kind of see where it, where it goes. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely under under the gun. I don't know if it is as much as maybe this executive is making it out to be. Uh, Then you had the last comment that says, you got Jair Alexander saying Love is the best quarterback in the league, but those are pretty big shoes to fill, a GM said. I haven't seen enough to feel comfortable into the season like they are saying this is our guy. I would be a little hesitant if I were them to do that, but it is what it is. That is where they took them and where they are. So first of all, Jair, Jair gasses up everybody. Right, for that, like we shouldn't take that too seriously. This to me sounds like a GM that's a little cautious, right? That wears his underwear just a little bit too tight. Like, let's fucking relax here, okay? Like, of course they're gonna have confidence. These guys all want to gas up love. I think there is a fundamental belief in love. I can understand where he's saying that, but I, I wish there was a continued quote where it's like, I like how they are all behind this guy. They all believe in this guy. I think if you were to ask that 2008 Packer team, and I know we keep referring back to it, but did they all believe in Aaron Rodgers? Were they? Did they all have Aaron Rodgers back? Like that would be a question that I would love, like a local media Donald Driver. You know, Donald Driver always does interviews for God knows what Cousins, something else. Like I would love someone to ask Donald Driver that question. Like, did you believe in Aaron Rodgers in, in 2008? Like, were you all in on Aaron Rodgers? You know, any of the other veterans? Did you believe that Aaron Rodgers was the guy or did you wish they would have brought Favre back and traded Rodgers? Now they can all bullshit and say, oh yeah, yeah, Aaron was our guy. But are we we sure? Like there weren't these staunch Rodgers defenders in 2008. Now, social media was barely a thing at that point. Facebook was just starting to cook. Twitter had, I think, was Twitter around? 
I can't remember. I I was shown Twitter. What was I? Was that was I? A, I had that I actually remember seeing Twitter. Aaron Rodgers' first game as a Green Bay Packer. Weirdly enough, or like first start. I had a night class. It was a PR class, uh, and I was shown Twitter. I remember I came home to watch the end of that game. But yeah, it was, you know, we all said it was like, oh, it was Facebook on crack. Because, you know, everyone would write on each other's walls. And it was like a constant update. And now it's where it is today, which is absolutely wild. So yeah, so Twitter was just getting going. But to go back to the point, like, yeah, it was a little different. But we didn't necessarily see maybe the energy towards Jordan Love. So I do I do think that, you know, the, the ranking is fair. I think I would put him there too. Um, I think Fields is a little higher. I would have Tannehill higher than Fields. Um, I, I might have Brock Purdy, honestly, higher than Fields. I think what Brock Purdy did, it's it's interesting to see, you know, them just sort of give up on Brock Purdy. Um, I, I don't think I'd have Fields higher. I think Mac Jones is properly ranked. I think how I would do it, I'm higher on Kenny Pickett too. So I think I would do, if I'm looking at that 21 through 25, you know, kind of tier, I would probably tier it as... Tannehill, Purdy, Fields, Jones, nah, Pickett Jones. I think I go Pickett. I, I'm I don't know. Maybe I'm higher on the Steelers, but that's how I would do it. And I think Jordan Love settles in just well under that. We'll be I'll be interested to revisit this. Food for thought. Just keep in mind, Justin Field or uh, Jalen Hurts was a tier four quarterback. Now he is the sixth highest rated quarterback. You know, according to to this evaluation. So just keep that in mind uh, as you don't overreact to it. All right, really quick on the Brewers. I don't want to talk too much about baseball because obviously the deadline's happening at three o'clock today. This will get posted, you know, probably end up being more closer to like nine o'clock. So it, it will all, it could all change uh, at this time, but we will react to what has happened so far. Mark Hanna, as we said in the important ranking, a solid depth piece. It makes the Brewers a little bit better than what they were in their outfield. Um, I know Canna is not having a completely knockout, dragout season, but you have to understand that this is a hard market. There are not a lot of sellers. You have to, you know, play the hands that you are dealt. And Mark Canna is a solid app. It was a kick in the teeth to see Jaime Candelario go to the Chicago Cubs literally right after the Brewers had traded Mark Canna. Uh, Candelario was a guy that a lot of people wanted. Uh, I, I think that he would have been a nicer ad maybe than Canna. That said, you know, the Nationals the Nationals preferred the Cubs package over what the Brewers were offering. We don't know what the Brewers put on the table. Um, maybe the Brewers put on guys who were more lottery picks and the Nationals were about it. Or a guy like Justin Jarvis and somebody else was on the table and they just did not believe in what Jarvis was versus, you know, DJ Hertz or and Kevin Mead and Mead, I believe. And they they like those guys better. I I think we have to understand it's a two-way street when it comes to trading. Could the Brewers have overpaid for a rental bat? Yes, but I think people will be mad about that, right? I don't think Jaime Canelario warrants an overpay. He to me is not worth that rental. Like if you needed starting pitching, like let's just say Corbin Burns was hurt right? And yes, there's a no trade clause for Justin Verlander. But if you had to dump dump it out for Justin Verlander and you just had to do it because that was your only way to be a successful baseball team for the rest of the year, I could, I could get down with that. 
I, I honestly could because it Justin Verlander, even though he's 42 years old, he's shown like that there's really no signs of stopping him. If you were to make a move for Dylan Cease or Eloy Jimenez, who apparently aren't, Dylan Cease apparently is not on the table, but apparently the White Sox are listening. I don't know. That to me could be like the big surprise that Dylan Cease gets traded to like the Dodgers and which would be crazy. Uh, but if you were going to make a significant offer for Dylan Cease and you're like, fuck it, we're going to create the best pitching staff that we possibly can. And we're going to get Cease and Jimenez and we're going to trade Tyler Black and we're going to trade uh, Joey Weimer and we're going to trade Bryce Trang uh, and maybe, you know, other guys, Zamora or somebody else, Robert Moore. Uh, and it's just going to be a massive package to get guys that we have control on that are going to be part of the Brewers' future, but not sacrificing your know, trio, obviously, and and Jacob Mizorowski. Maybe Mizorowski in the deal and Tyler Black is in the deal. Whatever it may be. If you were to do that, I, I don't think I'm going to have a problem with it. But I'm not going to go crazy for Jaime Candelaria. I'm not going to just completely dump the farm for a guy that's going to be here for two years and going to get a big contract. Because he, he is. And so I, I'm totally okay with it. And maybe the Cubs looked at it as he also was, this should be worth noting, like he was in the Cubs system. The Cubs know what they get out of him. The Cubs also know that, you know, maybe he resigns with the Cubs. You know, he was part of the 2016 World Series team. There was no spot for him. He was blocked by Chris Bryant. There's no longer that case. And maybe, you know, now Candelario has a future with the Cubs and the Cubs know that they could potentially resign him. And if you know that you can resign him, then that's more than enough reason to bring him in. And then it be, doesn't become a two-year rental it be, or a two-month rental. It becomes a, you know, a year-long or two-year-long, you know, sort of relationship. So it's very interesting that the Cubs are buying. Um, you know, they had a hot stretch over bad teams and I, I didn't know if that would be enough for them. It apparently is. They apparently believe in the team they have. It's very interesting that Marcus Stroman has completely went to shit. I feel like that is a looming issue in the background. You know, Stroman has to get right for this Cubs team, I think, to be successful. I still have questions about their bullpen. Now, they got Jose Koss. I think it's a Koss or Kois. Uh, Kois, probably, because he's uh, Dominican. Uh, they got him from the Royals. He's not had a stellar year, so it's not like Jose Kois is this incredible player. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, they're trying to remedy that situation. So, um, I, I do, I'm curious to see, you know, if the Cubs make any more moves, I'm curious to see if the Reds do anything. I know they got a reliever in, in Sam Mole from the Oakland A's who has not been great this season, but they're just trying to obviously help their bullpen. Uh, and we'll see if the Reds, you know, do more. Um, they obviously could be in an interesting spot with, you know, some of their young talent. Like when is Andrew Abbott's innings limit going to get, going to hit? I know you're going to get Lodolo and Hunter Green back at some point. But it's the question of when will they be back and will they be ready to go and be involved in a, in a pennant race? Lodolo and Green, very talented players, but we've seen them not be, you know, kind of just be average. Graham Ashcraft has, you know, sort of, you know, turned the corner again. And, you know, whatever his issues were, you know, in the middle of the year, he's seemingly fixed them, even though he only has two pitches, which is wild to me. But I, I, I definitely am impressed with that as well. So, We'll see what happens. We'll see what other moves get made. We'll have a podcast tomorrow reacting. If the Brewers don't do anything more, we'll talk about that. Really quick on that Nationals loss. That's a bad one for the Brewers. That can't happen. Uh, The Brewers now have lost seven games against the Nationals, the A's, and the Rockies. And if the Brewers were just three and four in those games, uh, they would be in such a better spot right now this season. And that irks you. That's one of those things that gets at you. 
and the Brewers need to wake up. And these two games are critical. And I, like I said earlier, it's going to be a tough game with Miley uh, in his first game. Nationals very good against lefties, uh, as well as Josiah Gray, who's pitched pretty well. But he has struggled at home. So maybe maybe that is the way in. Uh, we'll, we'll react to that game. We'll talk about the deadline. Sure, we'll talk about other things. Maybe we'll get into what excites us about the Green Bay Packers and what makes us nervous about them this season. Uh, but we'll, we'll do that all for you tomorrow. Take care of yourself. Have a great Tuesday. And we'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.